Hey everyone, welcome to 2017. I'm Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise Podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of scrambling to keep up with the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, a partner, or maybe a child with special needs? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we bring you stories from the field. We hear from professionals in the field of aging and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Award-winning author Carol Brecht created her book, The Artistry of Caregiving, Letters to Inspire Your Caregiver Journey, on the heels of providing care for her own mother, who was afflicted with Alzheimer's disease from 2009 to 2014. Carol's book combines what is called Zentangle artwork with supportive letters directed to her fellow caregivers. That's because she's all about nurturing the nurturers and letting them know they're understood and not alone. Carol Brecht joins us from America, City of Steel, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Carol Brecht, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Diana. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. I want to talk a little bit about your background from what I read about you. You had the kind of childhood I think most people dream of. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your family life growing up? I know that your parents are and were quite talented. Mm-hmm. This is true, and they were very loving, and it almost jokes me what you just said because, you know, I always looked at it like a blessing. Yes, I mean, my parents could not have been any more generous or, you know, always the cheerleader, always. And I have so many great memories. I'm so thankful. How many sibs in the family? I have an older brother, an older sister, and a younger sister, so there's four of us. Okay. And your mom, I understand, was quite talented and even wrote and illustrated a book for her first grandchild, your daughter. She did. Tell us about her talents in particular. Oh, my gosh. She was like an artist extraordinaire. She uh, really, man, she, she never stopped. She was almost, you know, a jack of all trades in the design world where she was so excited about everything. It was smart for her to really focus in on one, although she had periods where she was sewing like crazy. Of course, when we were growing up, she made a lot of our wardrobe. She was an mm-hmm. amazing seamstress. Mm-hmm. Her mother uh, was way ahead of her time. She owned a knitting shop for 40 years, which my mother was, of course, exposed to and got to see what it was like a woman. She had such a great example for oh, wow. a woman owning her own business back in the day. And my mother was a prolific uh, knitter and crocheter. She designed all kinds of patterns. She was an amazing creative cook and baker. She entered a uh, cooking contest. She used to write jingles back in the day when radio shows were popular and won, wow. won some prizes for that. I mean, she just did it all. And she sold some of her patterns, I think, to, I don't know, Red Book or one mm-hmm. of the women's journal magazines. Mm-hmm. She was just always searching. And actually, she became a prolific painter in her 60s. She had never wow. tried it. And, and it, I, her paintings are all over my house. I love her artwork. Oh, so. that yeah, is she was really a cool. great example. That's really yeah, cool. Great example. And your Mm -hmm. dad, you've mentioned, is your hero. I know he began as an engineer and uh, then became a lawyer. Tell us about your dad growing up. My dad, you know, both my parents are my heroes. I mean, they're such shining examples of what a really great, down-to-earth, warm, embracing, affectionate, loving human being is, and I really mean that sincerely. My father was so highly motivated. He was an engineer, and then he went to law school while we were all little Mm. in grade school and he completed that and then he started over five times 
which, you know, if huh. you read a lot of success stories, a lot of people are on their face for a long time until they find that one particular quotient that sets sail for success, that, right. uh, success financially and, you know, independently. But he was a family man. He worked six days a week for a very long time. Mm-hmm. He started over five times, like I said. And he was always looking at different money streams and, and interested in, you know, side businesses. He's, mm-hmm. he's a business owner, as was his father. He had a great example, uh, too, with his dad at some point in his life as well. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh is a great place to grow up. I mean, I've visited Pittsburgh many times. It's a great city. This is solid, solid folks. So without getting too deep into the caregiving with your mom, can you just give us mm-hmm. a, a little bit of background on when you started to notice changes in her? And we should make it clear to the listeners sure. that your mom is no longer living. But tell us uh, when right. you started noticing the changes in her and briefly how it uh, evolved. Well, you know, there were there were like one or two two noticeable memory lapses, like a year and a half before things really started changing. And at the time uh, that it occurred, we were at a family event, and she didn't recognize somebody who she is a family member. And so we were pretty, you know, we noticed it immediately. We looked at each other, we gasped, and then we I don't think we ever spoke about it. Hmm. How strange is that that we look back on that? Yeah, And my grandparents lived out of town, so my, my grandfather had some dementia at the time. There was there was hardly anything about it. It was called senility. He was acting out, and, you know, that's what we knew. Uh-huh. So anyway, a year and a half later, you know, my mom started having slips, and probably one of the first really noticeable ones when we really started taking note was uh, she called me one night, and she said, you know, I'm upstairs, and I don't know how I got up here. And it was so alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Mm, and how old was she? I don't she? know how you describe that. Um, she was in her early 80s. She died at 87, oh. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So she, she lived a long life. And by the way, my parents were health freaks. They huh. ate right. They quit smoking when they were 40. They uh-huh. exercised. They were super health-oriented. It, it, sometimes that's hard to digest. It's, they worked so hard to live yeah. so well, and in the yeah. end, she got so ill. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, so she had these different time lapses. So we weren't around anybody that had that illness, like, firsthand. We right. never really witnessed the decline or anything. I didn't really know much about it. My sister was encouraged by a family member to look into the Alzheimer's Research Center down in Oakland mm-hmm. to be assessed and diagnosed. There was a nine-month waiting list, and during that time, she was not officially diagnosed till 2010, but... Um, my business closed in 2009, and she needed care. Then my dad was still working. She needed some help. She needed rides. She, she wasn't driving anymore. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was such a progression. Sometimes at the beginning, I would say she really held her ground, like for, I don't know, at least the first year, the decline wasn't so, so great. I know after we got the diagnosis, how strange that we are such a family that's uh, very talkative and chatty about things that are important in our lives and share all kinds of stuff. But when we got that diagnosis, and by the way, all six of us went down, my dad, my, my mom, mm-hmm. and the four wow. of us. Wow, that's unusual. Which is not all that common, <laughs> but that's, that's a symbol of how close we all are. Uh-huh. I felt really good about that, that we rallied around my parents then. And, uh, but anyway, we ended up going to that meeting, and, you know, my mom was there for hours being tested, and uh-huh. they pulled us off as a group and, you know, reviewed a bunch of stuff with us. And uh, we were all called back in the room, and we got the diagnosis. And at that point, I'd say my mom for six months, it was really obvious something was happening. She's usually a pretty upbeat, mild-mannered woman, and she just seemed really down. And her personality, I don't know, it just started changing. And so when they gave that diagnosis, we left the building that day. We never discussed it. Hmm. 
We didn't talk about it with my mom. She didn't ask any questions. The only thing she said to my dad on the way out is, are you surprised by that diagnosis? <laughs> and my dad said, no, not really. Wow. And we got home. We never discussed it with my mom. I remember we were alarmed. We knew it wasn't good. We, we were pretty nervous about it. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's such an odd thing. We just didn't read about it. We didn't study about it. We didn't really share about it. And this is one of my first blogs, I think, that I wrote called um, Acceptance and Denial. Mm-hmm. There's six of us, and my mom's alone now, so there's really five of us to take in the information. Mm-hmm. And each one of us adjusted to that diagnosis and accepted it in very unique ways. Mm-hmm. And that denial was huge. I mean, we're close mm-hmm. to family. My parents are, you know, we, we love them. We rally around them. We have all kinds of family dinners and things over the years, and so... It's like it didn't really register right then. Yeah. And it took a while. It took a good while. Yeah. And it's not unusual to not get a diagnosis right away. That's really what something that's troubling to me. Nobody wants to say, I mean, very. I took my mom to a neurologist and he, we went through all kinds of sort of somersaults. To, he seemed to be wanting to avoid the diagnosis at all. And really? Yeah, he didn't want to name it. And oh, we no. actually ended up going to a, a specialist at Hopkins. But So I've read articles about this, that there are doctors that really don't want to give the diagnosis. Right. I don't get it. Now, one of the things that I, because it's just such an awful, awful, horrific disease, I, I get there's some reservation, you know, until you're sure with that diagnosis. But to me, the progress of research is, is not where we need it to be for, for a cure. But all these meds, I was listening to a couple commercials the other day, which I don't watch commercial TV very often, but they were advertising some new drug for Alzheimer's, and they listed, of course, 50 things that could go wrong if you right. take it. And then at the very end, oh, and by the way, this really isn't going to change a progression of the disease or something like that. It's like, oh my gosh, all the money they're putting into this stuff that, you know, what's it really doing? Yeah, you know something, the thing is, Carol, the doctor who ultimately, Dr. Konstantin Liketsos is his name, a fellow Greek at Hopkins, he really helped me to shift from thinking about Alzheimer's in my mom, which she was diagnosed with in 2012, Shifting from okay. shifting from finding a cure to helping to support her for the life that she okay. still has. And I think in this country, right. we have, and there are numbers to support this, that we spend so much time looking for a cure because it's sexy, but supporting actual caregivers and folks who have Alzheimer's, there's so much less money for that. We're very mm. solution-oriented in this country, and mm-hmm. I think finding a cure is a natural sort of thing for us because we're so fix-it-oriented. Our idea well, of we're trained that way. Yeah. We're trained that way, and we're promoted that way. If you look at any of the media for any kind of depression, anxiety, any, any kind of mind-altering drug, you know, here, eat it, have it. I, right. mean, I can't tell you how many times my doctor has been really pushing drugs on me over the years, and it's like, no, I, I'm not taking that route. So we, yeah. are, we are geared that way. We are trained that way. Absolutely. Right. You, you wrote that both parents needed you. Your mother needed help caring yes. for your dad, and your dad needed help caring, help with your mom. I mean, I feel certain he went through caregiver burnout, serious caregiver burnout for quite a long well, time. That's very common. Yes, it is. 
except that when you're going through it and it's all brand new, it feels like your world's falling apart, when in fact it is. I mean, my mother was his life. He was a family man. He didn't travel with buddies and go golfing. He was a family man. So back in the day, it was a little more like that than than today, taking these, you know, weekends with our buddies. But during that time, I think, you know, my mom was a very emotional being. She was very affectionate, very warm, very expressive Mm -hmm. uh, verbally Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. her things. Mm -hmm. My father's much more tight-lipped. He he made a great attorney. He was calm, never got ruffled, and not super emotional. And so the two of them blended really well. I can say that during that time, you know, here's a relationship. They were married 65 years and an old-fashioned one where Mm -hmm. the guy was, you know, the fixer. He he fixed things up. Something needed fixed, he would do it. And Mm -hmm. you know, the protector and the person who took care of, you know, some really important things. And he was was absolutely helpless. He couldn't do anything for her except provide the care. And I think it was so hard. And, you know, that denial, after that denial happened, I mean, gosh, there are so many things that took place between my dad and I and trying to get along and understand what the needs really were. And because that picture is not so black and white and, you know, it's unique for everybody, and because I didn't do any research to understand what was coming, I just knew she was going to lose her memory. I didn't know what that really was going to look like. I think, Janet... That's shock to the system. I would say to you today, talking about this, it's still a shock to my system what happened to her. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I mentioned to people, it's like nobody really wants to talk about Alzheimer's or memory loss. But you know what? Until you're around it, I get that because really, it's really hard to bear. But the thing is, because of the numbers growing now with the stats of people that are really being afflicted with it, we're looking at potentially a society, unless we get a handle on this somehow, potentially a society that won't know how to, you know, tie their shoes or feed themselves. We're, we're not going to be able to function. That's right. And I don't think people really get that. It's like, no, it's still a subject nobody really wants to discuss. Right. Even they dementia generally, because as we know, Alzheimer's yes. is but one of many forms of dementia. Yes. Yeah, I know that you managed a five-week hospital stay at three different facilities. <laughs> oh, how, my God. How was the hospital helpful or not? And what, um, what resources did you wow. wish you had that you didn't? Wow, can I tell you, my dad was sick for a while there, too, so there was no way he could go visit my mom. And plus, it's not so easy for him to be super mobile. So I was, when I look back on it, I feel like I was a ping pong. Honestly, what saved the day was my notebook. But I will tell you this about that experience, and I really hope people take this to heart. Of course, my parents taught me that I could do anything that I put my mind to, and so that's sort of been, you know, my personality vantage point since I can remember. And so... I'm not shy. You know, if I have a question, I'm going to ask you 50 different ways until I'm sure I have a solid Uh answer. (laughs) And three different units or three different buildings, I met like a million different medical teams and nurses. And there was such a huge range of people that were really warm and caring Mm -hmm. and staff that was just like robots and mechanical and just, you know, didn't want to be bothered. And, And then there was a happy medium range. But My notebook saved the day for me. Hmm. I took questions everywhere I went. I can tell you right now, this is something I want to point out. My mother was scheduled to have a procedure done, and they did not get the approval from us. And it was scheduled for the next day. And when I say this now, I'm almost embarrassed because I'm like, oh, my God, how could this happen? 
Well, guess what? It happens all the time. Yeah. And when I when I found out she was on dock for this, I called her doctor. I put a call on. I never hesitated to call the doctor. I don't call me back. I don't care. But she she called me and I said, "What's going on here? My mother's put on for this test. You didn't get our approval. Why is this happening? And she's already scheduled." Oh, I don't know. I said, well, let me ask you, doctor, if this was your mother uh, at the same age, would you be putting her through this? Well, no. I'm like, absolutely cancel that procedure. So one of the things I think I really bring home in the book is, man, you have any questions about anything that you're not comfortable with or you need more answers or you need more clarity or you want to understand or you're just, you really need somebody to sit down and talk with you. Please, please go ask. Yeah. Do not hesitate. Mm-hmm. And then find the person you relate to and that's pleasant and can break it down for you <laughs> right. in a way you can understand it. Right. right. You sort of become an investigative reporter when you're a caregiver. Yes. You, you switch oh into this God. role. Yes. <laughs> this is so true. But I will tell you this. One of the cool things, I don't know how anything's cool out of this, but one of the cool <laughs> things was we made great relationships. In the end, I couldn't do all the caregiving. I mean, in the end, she needed around-the-clock care 24-7, and that was at least the last year and a half, two years of her life, maybe even slightly longer. I'd have to go figure it out. But our final round of caregivers that we ended up hiring happened to be through a professional service. Uh-huh. And up until then, it wasn't. And I you don't had no really outside comment help too much. before that? We did, but it wasn't through a professional service. Initially, it was me. And then my sister a little bit. And then my other siblings were full time. And then I brought in a couple friends, and it was a very difficult situation in the end. I'm not a big fan of hiring close friends or distant relatives because in the end, you just really don't know. They can become privy to certain things in your life and in your very personal life with your family members. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you can mm-hmm. just draw your own conclusions there. But I, I'm right. not a fan of that. I, in the end, we ended up getting this professional service that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And they saved the day. Mm-hmm. And in the end, we really grew to be good friends. I mean, they were like family caregivers to me. Yeah. We loved them. They were yeah. really good people. What was the point that you just said, I really need some big time help here? I can't do this like this anymore. What was the turning point? Jeez. Well, I'm sure it was coming around the time when my mother started being so forgetful and I was becoming frustrating. And one of the weirdest or hardest things about dealing with somebody who has memory loss, it's like, my mom looked exactly the same. It's not like she had a bruise or I could, like, something was morphing in her physically to make me really get, like, she, this is for real. And so when you start caring for somebody early on in that journey and they ask you 50 times in a row, like, they never heard it, I think probably mm. in the end it was when I, by the end of the day, I felt like, okay, now I'm starting to feel a little batty because I'm trying to use my voice to reason on somebody who can't comprehend it. So I'm draining my energy. I'm exhausted mm-hmm. and frustrated because, you know, I, I guess looking back, I, I really wish, I wish so much I would have had a better understanding of what was coming. I wish I would have done some reading. Uh-huh. And by the way, back when, uh, I don't know about you, but this is the way I look at the journey. In the beginning, people maybe, maybe, it depends, pretty receptive to some help or ideas. Mm-hmm. Once you get really in the throes, really deep into it, and I, I witnessed this, it's like you almost can't reach somebody because their life is so immersed in somebody else's life and has taken over so much. It's like they become almost so withdrawn and isolated. You, you almost can't reach them. They're just so far deep into the journey. And it, I, I don't know, at least that's how it was for me. I became very isolated and withdrawn and all that, all that uh, 
You're talking about the caregiver. You, you as the caregiver are hard to reach when you say that. Yes. Yeah. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. And I think it's funny because you so often hear the phrase, be sure to take care of yourself. And, and, yes. and that's really important. I'm not discounting that. But I think that what you're talking about, this is, this is a really good point because the isolation aspect of it is really underestimated. Oh. There are so many reasons why I thought, yes. oh, I can handle this. There's going to be an ending. Yes. And you don't realize, no, it's, it's permanent until yes. that person's no longer yes. there. And women, we're just so conditioned to be the nurturers and to handle things without making a big deal about it. We just do it. And um, you were also we raised. Do, yeah. You were also raised by parents who came from the generation where they make do, and so you model that. You yeah. just you get through it. You know, I know I was. I yeah. grew up in a very similar so way, mm. but. You know, I couldn't really articulate this till the end when I was really writing the book and getting into the nuts and bolts of it and really mm -hmm. trying to identify what I wanted to share. But the thing was, I think for me personally as a primary caregiver, and even though we brought caregivers in at the end, I was still managing a lot. I was still the point of contact and I helped to train. I was helping with, you know, figuring out the schedule. I mean, I, I oversaw a lot of stuff and it felt like a rescue mission. That's the way I was approaching it. Right. It's like, even down to like the last six months when my mom ended up being bedridden, it was like I finally had a breakdown at the very end, probably within a couple of months of her her dying, maybe mm -hmm. even anywhere between two and three months before she died. And I remember we pulled a meeting together in the assisted living home and everybody knew I was fried. I was just bawling my eyes out. And they're like, look, you know, you can take some time off. Or We did some rearranging that, mm -hmm. that did relieve me to some degree. But honestly, you just our mind and our spirit and our heart, you know, we don't want to lose our loved ones. So we do everything to try to convince ourselves that day is not going to come. And I know you're, you're close with your sister, Jan. Did she help you out? And where were your other siblings? She did. Mm -hmm. My sister, Jan, lived across town. She also was uh, taking care of her mother-in-law as well, mm -hmm. okay. uh, who, who had her own disabilities. And mm -hmm. so she was pulled in a few directions. I think it was really hard on her at one point. You know, I lived like right around the corner from my folks. Right. I never left the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So it was an easy segue for me. And I was looking at like, oh, what am I going to do next? I'll just go get a new career. And then I end up as my mom's caregiver. Still, like I said in the book, I, I never even knew the word caregiver till the very end of my journey. It's so common, but I've read different articles on self-care. One that put me off a little bit, uh, just a couple of the highlights that I remember. I don't even remember who read it. But it's like, you know, quit talking about self-care. We don't need to hear about that anymore. But this is what I want to say. Self-care is so important. My mother's life became my life, literally. Mm -hmm. I mean, my entire focus every day, round the clock, was about caring for my mother, especially, you know, when that decline really began, which lasted for several years. Yeah, And so... The caregiver burnout that I experienced is for real. It's a real phenomenon, and it happened several times. Finally, by the end of it, you know, my mom passed, and it was devastating, and, and I went in for a checkup, and guess what? I needed to be under a doctor's care for several weeks. Hmm. So without really revealing, I mean, I'm fine now, but yeah. I had to take some antibiotics, and I had to get myself right, and that was definitely a result of the stress I had been under for years. So here's the thing. What does self-care look like? Well, one of the things that I like to focus on now and that I like to preach about and talk about and share, self-care includes our emotional state. It's not just about our physical well-being or getting pampered or getting a pedicure. We're talking about self-care as in our emotional well-being. That's what I like to focus on. And just to state, yes, emotional well-being is really important. Yes, we know this. But why? 
because our vantage point in life comes from our emotional well-being or not well-being. How we view life, how we perceive life, how we look at life, our perspectives, our outlooks, it's based out of how well we're doing from our emotional cornerstone. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. are we feeling good? Are we feeling bad? Are Mm -hmm. we happy? Are we sad? What I perceive as truth, you may not. Mm -hmm. And we're so unique and so individual. We we almost live in our own little world a lot of the time because, you know, our self-talk is going on <laughs> right in the night. That right? script. We're the director of our own films, I always say. <laughs> yes. yes, perfect. It's like, please be quiet for a minute. Just go away. But here's the thing, man. It's really easy to get down. Of course, we're sad and we're sorry. It's horrible. I think I wrote the book that I would have liked. It's a pick-me-up, which shall I say, it definitely affirms all that you're doing. It it embraces you. It It's just very warm and fuzzy. Before we get to the book, I want to briefly okay. t- talk about your dad and dad. how he's doing, how that evolved. Are you talking about right now, where he's at now? Where he's at now and how he got to that point. So here's the thing. My dad had never lived a day on his own, ever. Okay. He went to the Navy right after his mom's, then he went to college, then he met my mother, then he got married. He's never lived alone a day in his life. And Mm -hmm. at the time, after being my mom's caregiver, you know, when someone's suffering so much, there comes a certain peace when they are released and they they move on to the spiritual life, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it. There's a certain peace and calm that comes. You can finally breathe for a minute, even though that loss is so great. And I was expecting to go get a job, quite honestly, after mm-hmm. my mom passed and get mm-hmm. back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad and I had a couple conversations. One thing led to another, and we decided that, you know, I would be down there during the work week, and I would do things with him and take care of things that needed done for him. At the time, at the beginning, it was more of a companion, I would say, assistant kind of you know, the do-it-all kind of, you know, chauffeur and all, all the things that you do, the shopper, the chauffeur. Was he the, still driving? Uh, he was. He, mm-hmm. he gave up his okay. license pretty willingly about a year and a half ago. He wasn't driving much, but I mean, right. I did the majority of the driving. So, so I was with him all the time. Well, that was fine. But then I was trying to get my life on track and the book was happening and I was doing social media. And so I was I was having a really full schedule being there so many nights a week. So in the last two years, I had cut back, you know, for a while it was five nights, then it was four nights, and I cut it back to three. And then in December, I took some time off. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm not there quite as much. But his needs are nothing like my mother's. It's sure. like a cakewalk compared to my mother. But his emotional well-being is very valuable and important. And, you know, I want him to feel connected. And he's close to his children. And we all spend time with him. His life has changed so dramatically. My parents had a beautiful life together, and so it's a little hard for me to, you know, see him on his own. I'm sorry for it, but I'm so glad he has his mental health. Yeah. He's communicative, he's smart, he's sharp, he can carry on a conversation, watch a movie, all that. So, yeah, I feel really really so thankful for that. So just to clarify for the listeners, after your mom passed away, your dad continued to live in the same house? How long? No, no, no. So this was pretty amazing. My dad's a pretty amazing man to me. I know that not a whole lot of men would do this, but 
my mom was really sick, and so they were in the, they were in the home that I grew up in uh, for almost 50 years, and it was four bedrooms, two-story, way too big for them. Of course, mm-hmm. no kids lived there anymore, and they had been using a Stairmaster for a long time for mm-hmm. my mom, even before she got sick, because there were so many steps there. But it was clear that she needed more help at the assisted living. Our home was not set up for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, her bed was on the first floor for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was not a good setup that care for somebody who, who needed some uh, medical attention. So my father decided to move to a assisted living home in the neighborhood, and he went with her. I know some spouses send the other spouse off and they go visit, but my dad went with her. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, I, I just can't tell you how much that meant, meant to so me. So they both moved into the ALF her. together? Yes. Wow. My, and by the way, I I helped to head up a like six to eight week liquidation of their house during all this uh-huh. transition. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with that. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And it's a huge, gigantic job. So they made wow. the move and he moved with her and he, he opted to stay there. Same room? No, he moved right across the hall. And okay. That, now I, I got it. it. Okay. Now it's I see. Tough. Did you look at a lot of different it's, facilities or did you just know which no, one was going to be I, right? Oh, you mean to pick out with my mom? Yeah. Um, we looked into a couple. We liked the fact that this one was right nearby in the neighborhood on this particular side of town. You know, it's a uh-huh. familiar neighborhood, and okay. my dad wanted to stay close by. And okay. uh, I would say in the overall, it's been a pretty good experience. It's a nice community. And uh, my dad, man, he's like a loner. He's so low maintenance. He doesn't ask for much, and he's probably one of their easiest residents right. there because yeah. he's He's on his own, you know, right. doesn't really need to be there. Well, it probably helped that he moved with your mom in terms of just acclimating him to where he is now, right? Um, you know what? I would I would just disagree and say the oh, whole really? thing was absolutely horrible. Well, I mean, he had to go with her. That was just a given. Uh-huh. There was no question even. I mean, it was just the way my father was, the relationship, it was the way my father was raised. Uh, he would have never, and I can tell you, he kept a super watchful eye on her. She was under his wing. He investigated all the meds she was giving. He questioned everything. Because he's an attorney, I learned how to think in questions. So it was nothing nothing for me to run up to the hospital and fire off 50 questions to 10 different people. It didn't face me. I could care less. I want some answers, right? I love it. That's great. Okay, so your dad's in the assisted living facility now. You visit him how often? Yes. Well, I'm there a couple times a week right now, but this week it'll be three. It varies, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be too locked in, but... I'm doing a lot outside of him. I have all kinds of stuff happening that uh, consumes my time. I'm not just sitting around when I'm not with him. No doubt. Right. Okay, well, let's talk about your book. This is a really cool book. Very unusual. First, tell us us about the format of it and why you chose this and talk about Zentangle-inspired artwork. What is Zentangle? Uh, Zentangle is an art form that is an, uh, generally an abstract, abstract art form done in, with black micron pens. They're very, very teeny tiny tipped pens. Okay. And uh, they're typically done on three and a half by three and a half inch little paper cards, really fine paper, really nice paper. We call them tiles. Mm-hmm. And I discovered them first back in June of 2014, uh, six months before mom passed. And Jan and I both went to art school together back in the day. Jan is your sister. Uh, had, yeah, Jan is my sister. She designed the book cover, by the way. I want that noted. Yeah, she did the front and the back. It's really beautiful. But um, hmm. anyway, we fell in love with this art form. We discovered it together. We fell in love with it. We went crazy that summer. We went to art school decades ago, and then we raised seven kids between us. <laughs> wow. I have four, and she has three, and wow. she has twins. So we were busy for a long time, right, raising our children. Wow. 
and our artwork went way on the back burner. And then we ended up buying the frame shop together from 2003 to 2009, a beautiful shop in Pittsburgh. It was a custom frame shop with a beautiful art gallery. Mm-hmm. So that was very creative, and we mm-hmm. did some amazing, beautiful framing pieces. But it's not the same as drawing, right? It's very creative work, but it's nothing like drawing. So we found Zentangle, and we loved it. We went crazy with it. We, she loved it so much. She went on to uh, become a certified Zentangle teacher. And both of us, I can't tell you how prolific we have been. It's like from the day we hit ground, we haven't stopped. And if you see, if you would look in my notebook of, of uh, designs from the last two and a half years, there was a moment, I love this, because there was a moment about six four, six months ago when I was looking at my work and I, I like to look at it. It cheers me up. Oh, yeah. uh, a beautiful. lot of my thank you. A lot of my work affirms caregivers. I call it caregivers and tangle art. There's a lot of sayings in there that affirm caregivers and it's very dynamic and bold and colorful. So I was just looking at all that work and I, I still think this. You know, even my book and, and all the art, it's like, wow. During my saddest and darkest days, I created the most beautiful work I've ever created, and this has to be a reflection of my love for my parents and my family. Mm-hmm. That's what this symbolizes to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. What is it about this art form that connects to caregivers? Is it the tangles as <laughs> a <the> metaphor? <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny, sort of, uh, in a dark way. But no, here's the thing. And, and actually, when I created my platform, Sanjin Woman, the heart of the sandwich generation, we were talking a lot about the sandwich generation and we felt it was that's symbolic of the sandwich generation, which is, you know, people in midlife caring for the younger and older or both. We felt it was such a great reflection of that because it's very detailed, it looks very complicated, it's yeah. very multi-layered. Mm-hmm. And in fact it's really just repetitive patterns. Mm-hmm. Anybody can learn how to tangle. It's not that hard. It really isn't. Anybody can learn how to tangle. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yes. If you can draw a line in a circle, Jana, you can do it. Okay. I mean, lines and circles. Okay. okay. Well, so talk about the format of the book. These are letters. And if you'd yes. like to read um, one, have at it. I would love to, if I could just real quick, I'd like to read at least a portion of the table contents. Personally, I like reading the table contents. I find it really lifts me up. It's a very positive experience to me when I read it. Can I just tell so you much affirmation my favorite chapter title is There Are No Ducks in a Row. I love that. <laughs> I love that. I don't operate with ducks in a row. I never have. It's like it's, if I have an means, itch for something. That phrase means nothing to caregivers. It goes out the window. Ducks in a oh, row. <laughs> yeah, to the nth degree. Plus, there's no little guidebook that's going to help you on a seriously a day-to-day basis. But what I want to say about this book is this book was really designed to read on the go. Okay. It's to let you know you are understood and you're not alone. And it is a book of inspiration and affirmation with art throughout the whole book, all kinds of caregivers and entangles that are really cool. And you qualified it as very unique, and it is, because all books are worthy. You can gain something and a takeaway from every book. One of the things that I like about this book and why I think it stands out is because the format is designed in letters, written from me. Mm -hmm. I'm writing letters to the caregivers. There's 33 of them, and they're real short. You can read anywhere in the book. You can pick up the book and turn to any page and you can get something out of it. Or you can just simply go to the table contents and look at the title names and decide, oh, I, I think I need to hear this. And you'll be in sync with where you need to be. Mm-hmm. Why did There's you choose no that format? This. First of all, I love that you can read it anywhere on the go and, and you don't have to read it in order. That's really important to me because... Okay. 
who has time to really sit and read chapter, chapter, chapter books. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard right. when you're caregiving. My original collaboration was with Dr. John Stanko, who's a dear friend of mine and is uh, somebody I really look up to. He's an author. He's a pastor. He's a teacher. His whole mission is called PurposeQuest.com. Mm-hmm. I was in his classroom for a year, by the way, everybody. It took me a year to figure out what I wanted to do. It's yes, you credit him in your book life. with helping you define yes. who you are. Uh, yes. how, did, how did he help you? I was lost. I was so lost. I didn't know what to do because yeah. I kept thinking, well, okay, my calling's going to be over because mom's going mom's to pass here. What am I going to do next? Yeah. Well, we were aware of his class, and I love the description of it, and I was searching for, like, yeah, what am I going to do next? I'm a woman in midlife, and I'm older now, and now what? I had been a business owner a few times, and I, I just didn't know. And so... I was in three different classroom settings with him over the course of a year, all about purpose. It's, it's all formatted with workbooks. It's really cool. It, mm. uh, only one of those classes was costly. Most of his, uh, the other two classes I took are open to the public on a Saturday afternoon for four hours, and it was a really amazing class. Yeah. But anyway, this guy is like really expert in trying to figure out your purpose and passion in life, and mm-hmm. so he can guide you through certain things to look at and consider and provides a workbook for you to work through. So it's, it's really quite good. So he was very instrumental because he asked the questions. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of funny. I went to talk to him one day before I actually got into his uh, classroom formally. And we were talking about my caregiving experience. I think I went to see him when I was really burnt out. I was desperate to talk to somebody. I had no support group. I didn't know anything about an all support group. I was completely disconnected from the outer world. And I called on him. You know, he's a counselor of sorts, too. Yeah. And I went in there, and I just started bawling my eyes out about, like, then my, and, you know, I'm, I'm more like my mom. I'm pretty emotional. So mm-hmm. I, w- I was just, you know, sobbing, like, I, I, I don't know what to do, and I, this is so hard, and mm-hmm. what, I, I don't know. And he's like, well, Carol, what do you like to do? I said, well, I'm an artist by trade. He's like, well, when's the last time you created some art? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, probably over 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. He said, oh, no, no. You go home, and you draw something. Then you can come back and tell me you're an artist <laughs> and it's funny to what? me to wow. look back on that huh. because I didn't take offense but I'm like oh my god he's right I'm done spot I wow. need to do something he challenged it you probably too. planted the seed yeah to prove it, it. Did. and it probably planted the <laughs> yes yeah and you know what yeah. he, cut, he cut right through that he was like all this drama all this crying come on he didn't uh what's the word he didn't cater to it Right, and it takes an outside. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It takes yes. an outside person too to to do that. No one in your family can yes. can do that. You're, or no. you, you might not hear it. Didn't, it didn't phase him at all. So anyway, my dad was the original editor. This oh, book is okay. based out of my blog. It's not my blog verbatim. It's a lot of it's drawn from my blog. There's mm-hmm. some all kinds of stuff in it that I added in, mm-hmm. including a lot of the art. There's a story. There's letters specifically written to you for specific reasons. So. What he said to me was he he was uh, he actually put together my first Kindle back in April and uh, April of 2016 and so well my original intention was for my son to help me go on CreateSpace and just put it together mm-hmm. I really didn't know anything mm-hmm. I'm completely green and at that point he said look I've published a lot of books why don't you come with us I'll help you put something really nice together I was completely flattered wow. and touched and excited it blew my mind because uh, anything to be around him I love his mm-hmm. energy. And so he's the one that said to me, look, I like, I like your blog content. Let's take a look at this. And we collaborated, and, and this is the result of the book. It came in letters. Yeah. By the end of April, 
and, and the Kindle published, it wasn't really where I wanted the book just quite. Mm-hmm. So I got the manuscript, and then I took it on, Jana, and that is a conversation for another day. <laughs> That's a tough journey. Do you want to read one of the letters? I do. Real quick, I'm going to read through the table contents. It'll take me a couple seconds. By the end of it, you'll tell me which one you want to hear, and then we'll go. Okay. All right, so here's, here's how the book goes. Chapter 1, starting out. Dear Caregiver, Dear Protector, Dear Champion, Dear San Jen, Dear Friend, Dear Hero, Chapter 2, Changes. Dear Strong One, Dear Creative Force, Dear Squeezed One, Dear Nurture, Dear Giver, Dear Winner, Chapter 3, A Purpose-Driven Life. Dear Courageous One, Dear Counselor, Dear Life Giver, Dear Protector, Dear Sunshine, Dear Star. Chapter 4, The Voice of Reason. Dear Pillar, Dear Award Winner, Dear Captain, Dear Sweetheart, Chapter 5, There Are No Ducks in a Row, Dear Nurturer, Dear Sustainer, Dear Leader, Dear Rock, Dear Traffic Controller, and Chapter 6, Inspiration, Dear Defender, Dear Overcomer, Dear Gold Medalist, Dear Virtuoso, Dear Peacekeeper, and Dear Terror, our friends over across the pond in Europe. Hmm. The Carers over there. They're called Carers. Carers, right. Does anything pop there for I you? I like dear, dear Traffic Controller. <laughs> oh, cool. Quite honestly, uh, this is no lie. I do pick up my book from t- Of course I've read it, but I pick it up from time to time, and I leave it out where I can see it because, you know what, I still need the support too. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm still walking the walk here. All right, so here it goes. This is Air Traffic Controller. Yes, you act like an air traffic controller every day. You decide who comes and who goes, who takes off and who lands. Sometimes you have to cancel flights, and some people can get upset. Be patient with them. They have no idea how many things you have to manage to keep your care focus comfortable with some semblance of a normal schedule. It takes a special person to direct that kind of traffic, but you do it with grace and excellence. I love that. You know that. what? I'm not going to get into the... I love it too, and I'm going to read one of my favorites, okay. and then I'm just going to read the opening like I did on that. Okay. I love the one that's called Dear Squeezed One. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Dear Squeezed One. I, think, I love that. If I had to get one, I mean, how many people are feeling squeezed right oh, now? There's gosh. tons. There's millions. Sure. And uh, by the way, the Zentangle that I have on the page across from it, I rarely do any illustrations. Mostly it's abstract art, but this happens to be a picture of a watch, and I named it called Running Late. Huh. And then mm. the verbiage under it says, there are things beyond our control, do your best, no regrets. And at the bottom, what time is it? And it so happens, I was doodling one night at midnight, and I was bleary-eyed, and I was just looking at my watch. I'm like, oh, I'm going to draw a watch. That would be cool. And when I drew the numbers, I meant to just draw uh, write the four numbers, 12, 3, 6, and 9. Uh-huh. But I put it in as 12, 3, 9, and 6. Uh-huh. And, you know, Zen Tangle's whole philosophy is there's never any mistake. Either you work with it or whatever. And so I looked at it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is so perfect. And then I came up with that verbiage. And so I posted it on my platform wall when I did it. And somebody actually commented, like, do you know that those numbers are inverted? (laughs) And I said, oh, yeah, I am the creator of this. And I think, you know, feeling like we're behind the eight ball so much and always trying to keep 10 steps ahead, uh, we always have to plan for anything coming our way, and we don't even know what we're planning for a lot of the time. That's right. All right, so anyway, here, this is Dear Squeeze One. I'll read the opening. It says, Dear Squeeze One, Squeeze describes your life right now. You are the squeeze one because you are being pressed from many different angles. You may work and have your own family. Then you have the person for whom you are caring, along with your own emotional and physical needs. There aren't enough hours in the day to squeeze it all in. 
therefore you feel squeezed at the end of many days. And then at the end, the very last paragraph I wrote in this letter, and there's only four paragraphs, it says, if you don't have a notebook journal or or clipboard, pick one up and get busy modifying your life via your daily list. You will be a happier camper and a caregiver, and you won't feel so squeezed. And I signed it, squeezed along with you, Carol. (laughs) So every every letter has a dear and then a sign-off. I always like to end on a positive note. I can Mm -hmm. tell you there's no time to sit around and tell caregivers how great they're doing. There's too many pressing things happening. Well, here's the question for you. This begs the question. What do you say to the caregiver who says, I don't have time? I don't have time Mm. to find a creative outlet. Great, 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 great question. Here's a, well, Janet also gets back to where are you catching a caregiver? Is she so far deep into the throes that she's just so isolated and withdrawn? She, you know, you almost lose touch with how to bring yourself out of that, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. I -hmm. went to a conference recently and, uh, I met somebody in the bathroom. We were just passing, you know, ships. And so we Mm -hmm. just had a little conversation. And when I started talking about, my book, there was like, I mean, her physical body became rigid. It's like, look, I can't read anything. I don't want to talk about this. I don't want anybody else trying to help me. Any, mm-hmm. So there is a wall there. Yeah. And, you know, for somebody like that, it's like, okay, it's not my job to be in their face telling them what they need to do. Mm-hmm. But what I will say to somebody who's like, you know what, I can't deal with this. I, you have no idea what it's like in these demands on me. Okay. I hear you, and I get it because I've lived it. So I'm not just blowing air here. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I walked this walk. There was a time, I believe, that I was so withdrawn that I probably needed some professional help. I believe that to be true. Mm-hmm. But see, the thing is, you don't even know this. Right. All you know is that you have to go take care of somebody. That's right. all I knew. That's all. It's, you get my office. analyzing me. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah. I wasn't analyzing me. I didn't. Right. I lost myself in this process. So... This creative thing, I guess I'm probably speaking to people that are receptive to the idea that they would like to enhance their life somehow, some way, right. while walking this journey. Yeah, I think so, too. I was going to ask, what do, you, what do you hope readers will get out of your book? And I think you kind of answered that. But if you'd like to add to it, what do you, what do you um, want folks, folks to get out of it? I hope that they really think it's It's not only a great rain and and a comfort and feeling connected and warm and fuzzy, but that you felt that you made such a connection that you really aren't alone, that you really are understood, that you really got affirmed in this book, that it really did, in fact, lift you up, and it did make you understand and let you know all that you're doing. I'm in this to help others. Yes, I would like to sell my book, but what, what drives me is to serve others, to love others, to care for others to help others. That's that's what I do. Are you going to see your dad today? <laughs> I saw him yesterday. I took him to the doctor's. Okay. I will see him tomorrow. We may be going to another doctor's or we may be getting a bite. And then Friday is always a day we spend together. One of the things I want to mention to you real quick, I'm doing a new caregiver launch with my new partner, uh, creator of Happy Healthy Caregiver, Elizabeth Miller. Okay. Uh, this is a brand new announcement. I, we haven't shared it with anybody yet, so you're the first to hear. Exciting. Um, I was going to ask what's next uh, for you, so this is perfect. Yeah. Well, I was prepared for this. Okay. So what's um, next for you, Carol we're, Brecht? We're, <laughs> <laughs> we are. We are. I'm, I'm you could hear it. We're so excited. We came up with an idea. Uh, more information will follow, but we're both excited to launch, and we think it will have a really positive impact 
for caregivers and for the industry. Uh, what we're putting together, we think, will be a uh, really cool resource, and it'll be uh, lively and fun, and uh, well, well, that's for, probably for all I'm going to share today. Okay, well, for people who are listening to this, when is the launch sure. date, and where should they go? So we're, we're projecting to launch in the next four to six weeks. We're projecting by the end of February. We'll be announcing it all over our social media. You can go on my website, sanjanwoman.com. That's it has a S-A-N-G-E-N-W-O-M-A-N.com. Sanjanwoman. Yes. Carol Brecht, she's the award-winning author of The Artistry of Caregiving, Letters to Inspire Your Caregiving Journey. Go to S-A-N-G-E-N-W-O-M-A-N.com and learn more about Carol's work. You know what's really cool about this is that folks like you who have chosen to do things that are productive and creative after a really hard journey of caregiving, and it goes on, it's never-ending caregiving, but I love the fact that people like you are taking a really hard time and transforming it into something positive and helpful to other people. I just think that's one of the best things that come out of caregiving, and I think it's wonderful. Carol, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great talking with you. It's really been great talking to you. You have a really upbeat, positive energy in it. I just thank you so much. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you don't want to miss any episodes, visit the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot com and subscribe to the podcast. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, Jana Panaritis, and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. If you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jenna at A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot com. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.